Tenbound, the world's leading research and advisory firm 100% focused and dedicated to sales development, is now announcing the Tenbound Sales Development Conference 2020. This year, we'll welcome over 750 of the top minds in sales development to two major conferences, the New York City Leadership Conference on June 18th and the San Francisco Multitrack Conference on August 17th. Join us at both and learn from the best in sales development in these one-day experiences. Gain the latest intelligence from the 10-bound analyst team, unparalleled training opportunities, and networking with the leaders in our industry at the 10-bound Sales Development Conference 2020. Go to 10bound.com slash conference to learn more. That's 10bound.com slash conference. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. I'm your host, David Delaney, and honored to be joined today by the Chief Revenue Officer of User IQ, Mr. Dan Bonet. Dan, how are you doing today, sir? Pretty good, David. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. We always are honored with leaders of the revenue organization. Come on, because, you know, being in sales development, you're definitely in the, in the trenches a lot of the time. So, Dan, thank you for coming on. You've got a really interesting background. You've been in the technology space for a while now, from success to success, it seems. How did you get into this? And, you know, tell us about your journey to becoming CRO over at UserIQ. Yeah, sure. It actually was a, a little bit of an unusual path to get here. But, you know, when I think about, you know, how people start, you know, in college and they think they want to do something and then wind up meandering into a completely different career path, you know, I, I followed a similar suit. I was, by education, I'm a mechanical engineer. I went to Georgia Tech here in Atlanta you know, really enjoyed that. And I think it was a, a good place to, to get a degree, kind of fo- followed in my father's footsteps going down that path. And then, then when I graduated, I got into business consulting. This was back in the late 90s when that was kind of at its heyday. Still trying to find my way. Never thought I was going to go into sales. I'm actually a little bit of an introvert. Went back to school at night, got an MBA in, in marketing and finance. And then by the time that part of my, my educational journey was over, I, I, I made the decision to restart my career because I really wanted to get into marketing at that point. And the only thing I could find was an entry-level position in sales. So I started taking a role as an SDR for a small cybersecurity company here in Atlanta, thinking it was going to be a, a short-term thing and I would eventually find my way into something more marketing-oriented. And never looked back. I really found my stride talking to people, educating them about, you know, a solution that we were trying to sell. And fast forward 20 years, having had roles as an SDR, various roles as an AE, individual contributor, went into, you know, player coach roles, leadership roles, regional sales manager, helped develop an international sales organization for SecureWorks and ultimately moving into sales leadership, which I've been doing for the past four years or so. Wow. Okay. They used to call that the accidental salesperson, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, who knew? I really had no idea that this was going to be my path, but it, you know, for some reason, this is what clicked in my brain and I was able to do it, you know, pretty successfully. So I'm happy to have found my way into it. And, you know, the more and more I, I get to, I get to 
help other people become successful at, at this at a similar function it's uh, the more rewarding it becomes it's a great career and, and it's like now now that you're in it you're in it for life <laughs> so, yeah. yeah and, and exactly you know, it's interesting dan because just as a side note you mentioned you you feel like you're more of an uh, on the introverted side and the classic like stereotype of a salesperson is very extroverted, like, hey, used car salesman, like talk to anybody type of personality. But how, how did you balance, you know, more of that introversion and real thoughtfulness and, and that type of energy with being in sales and then still be successful? Yeah, it was it was really hard for me when I first got started. I mean, not a public speaker, or at least back at that time, I was like never done cold calling, never like sold stuff over the phone or over the web, like really totally new to everything about sales, right? Didn't even understand, like I, I got into cybersecurity after having studied mechanical engineering, completely unrelated, right? So I had to learn pretty much everything from scratch. But one of the things that I found I was really good at is taking difficult or complex concepts and kind of boiling them down to a way where you could explain it in very simple terms to help people understand them. And back then, you know, cybersecurity was a relatively new thing that was just burgeoning at that time. So people didn't understand it. And you had to really help them understand how it affected their business and why they needed to, you know, to, to take a look at those type of technologies to protect themselves. Now, it's, these days, it's kind of obvious because, you know, people are getting hacked all over the world. But back then, it was really a relatively new concept. So I had to get really good at basically teaching people new ideas. And that's one of the things that I was really good at. I'm a very patient person. I can distill concepts, you know, from very technical down to very simple terms. And, you know, I have, a, I guess, a good way of interacting with people where I can help them understand things. So as a salesperson in general, I think that's a pretty important skill set. That is really interesting. And, and did you find that you had to you know, manage your energy in a different way because, you know, as an introverted person, you might get tired of having to interact with people. Like you need a little bit of time alone to recharge and then go back out. And did you have to kind of learn a new way of managing your energy in order to be successful? Yeah, I think I just had to let my excitement about what I was selling kind of come through in the conversation. I'm a pretty even keel level-headed guy. And I needed to, you know, let that energy and passion flow through. And I think if you're going to be in sales, you know, one of the things that I think people really need to consider, not just if they go into sales, but which company they choose to sell for, is they should really focus on picking something that they are passionate about. Because, I mean, bottom line is if you don't like what you're selling, you know, as, as much as you want to keep a job, you're just not going to be good at it. It's, so, it's so true. It's really important. Like select, selecting the company and the product that you want to sell is one of the most important things you can do when you're getting into sales. That's so interesting because, you know, people people that are more thoughtful and and really need that that time to be able to craft a solution and to be able to take a, a complex concept and make it simple, a teacher or someone who's patient, you know, they they are some of the most successful salespeople on earth, some of the most successful entrepreneurs. And it's it's just interesting because our society almost says like if you're more on the introverted side, like there's something wrong with that. Like you shouldn't be in sales or, or things like that. But what I've seen in practice is that especially now, because sales is so complex and there's so many different steps and things like that, that that type of personality can thrive. And it's just really interesting to hear from yeah. someone like you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, ultimately it comes down to effective communication. 
right? If you're able to listen really well, think about what the customer is saying, empathize with them, and then, you know, make a determination as to whether or not your solution or whatever it is that you're selling suits their needs and can be helpful to them, and then translate that into words that they can understand and, and you know, attach to, then there's opportunity to be successful. But again, that's a, you know, that's not necessarily a natural thing for everybody. So it takes time and effort and work to be able to craft those skills. Not everybody's a natural educator or teacher. Like you have to learn how to do those things. Some people is natural. A lot of people it's not. hundred percent. And and I think that's, that's another thing that you nailed it is, is who, who are you as a person? What are your real strengths? And a lot of people are still kind of trying to find that, especially younger people. They're just like, what, what am I good at? Like, what are my real strengths? And, you know, they, you got to try a lot of different things and like, you know, experiment. And then you, you were, you happened to find that you were really good at, at these very valuable skills that happened to accelerate your career in the sales field. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I also happen to be really, really competitive against myself. When I grew up, I was always playing individual sports, not team sports. And so the only person I could get mad at when I wasn't successful was me. And so I put a lot of pressure on myself as an individual contributor to perform. And, you know, that, that made me work extra hard. It made me respond to customers in the evening, respond to customers on the weekends, basically everything that it took to build those relationships and make sure that I didn't let anything slip in the deals that I was working. You know, not everybody's wired to do that. But for me, you know, that's what it took for me to be successful and you know I put the time and effort in to do that. That is so interesting. That's a that's a strong sense of personal responsibility that you had coming up. And I just I had some questions for you. I want to flip this around a little bit from an SDR BDR perspective as someone who's listening. You know, how how do you assess your own performance as an SDR or BDR and and really, you know, on a on a daily, weekly basis so that you can kind of manage yourself, you know, as you, 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 you were able to do it innately, but for someone who's trying to figure out, you know, how do I, how do I stay on top of myself? Any, any tips there? Yeah, for sure. And it's kind of interesting. One of the things that really interested me about this podcast series is, you know, this was 19, no, this was like 2002 when I first started as a, as an SDR for the first time. And I mean, I did that. I did the job. I know what the role is like. It's a grind. I, you know, I get it. it is one of the hardest jobs you could have. And, and I started thinking about how it has evolved over the years and, you know, what it was like doing it back then, you know, manual effort. I didn't want to sound like your grandpa where it's like you're walking uphill in the snow both ways to school. But <laughs> you think about what, you think about what they have now, what the technologies to make SDRs efficient and successful and process driven and all the metrics of data that you can track to understand what's working and what's not working. I mean, there's a, you walk into a, you know, to a tech company these days and you're starting as an SDR, you have this amazing tech stack that is just pre-built and ready to help you be successful. And that's just amazing. So I've, I found it really interesting to understand like what, what, what you can provide to those folks to give them a leg up compared to, you know, what we've, what we've had years ago. But when I think about your question about how do I, assess my own performance, because I get asked this a lot, I think it goes back to understanding, first and foremost, what your managers and the leadership team expect out of this role, right? This relates to both your expertise, right? So learning and mastering the material that you're going to be engaging with 
with customers on and learning that mastering it as fast as possible so that you can actually start producing something and be effective when you're talking to customers. And you should seek to be as fluent at this as quickly as possible, right? And that doesn't mean just go through the, the, the training that the company offers or the reading material that they give you as references, but find opportunities to test your messaging, to test your pitch, to test your, your agility in conversations with colleagues and get as much feedback as you can until you're on solid footing and can hold your own. And again, when I think about assessing your own performance, take control of that as best you can, do as much of it as possible and try to master that faster than anybody else on the team because the fact you can't be productive until you've gotten that part down. 100%. Next, you know, look at, you know, obviously your sales performance against quota. That's an obvious one. I wouldn't necessarily use quota as the ultimate benchmark because really if you want to assess yourself and think about how quickly you can progress your career, which is something that's a very much interest to, to SDRs these days, benchmark yourself against your peers, right? And to the top performers on the team. Meeting, you know, just minimum quota standards is a great way to stay in the role you're in longer than you want to. And so, you know, think about who's doing well, who are the top performers, what are they doing, what numbers are they putting up, and find a way to match them or beat them. And that's just from a quota perspective. And then lastly, you know, stay on top of your own KPIs. Every company is going to have, you know, different KPIs of things they expect the SDR teams to adhere to, but don't rely on your manager to tell you if you're making enough calls, or if you're sending enough emails, having enough meaning, meaningful conversations, requiring to lead to, you know, fast enough, those type of things. Get your own dashboard set up, look at it daily, know exactly where you stand. You know, if you take vacation or if you take a long lunch or for some reason, if your KPIs fall short for a period of time, take matters into, to, into your own hands, correct your deficiencies, and, and make sure at the end of the week you've put up the numbers that, that you're supposed to put up. I love it. I love it. I mean, this is a good advice for me. I'm, I'm taking a bunch of notes yeah. here. <laughs> like, I, I mean, it's not. Great. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'd like to say that's easy to do. I mean, again, the work the work of an SDR is hard, and you know, it's a constant you know grind. There's a lot of activity that's expected. But, you know, taking 30 minutes a day and looking at what were you able to accomplish, having goals at the beginning of the day, seeing if you've achieved those goals at the end of the day and kind of keeping yourself aligned to what you're supposed to accomplish is the best way to make sure you accomplish those things. Yes, I love it. And, you know, one thing you mentioned is self-management. And it's like if you're managing yourself according to the various things you mentioned, Dan, then you're taking one less one burden off of your manager and making your manager's life a little less stressful because it's like I know that that SDR is doing great. They're managing themselves basically, so I I can put my energy in on the people that need me to like not babysit, but it's like ugh, you know the people that are not self managing. Yeah. Well, even better, right? Think about it from this perspective. The first couple times you're going to have one-on-ones with your manager. You're going to look at your dashboards. They're going to look at what you're producing, your KPIs, and they're going to, you're going to inspect that stuff to make sure you're getting the numbers gain part of the job done, right? If you can show every time you meet with your manager that, man, I got this stuff on lockdown. Like, you do not have to worry about me doing the KPI part of my business. I'm on it. I know what to do. I'm following the process. Like, that is not something you have to worry about me for then you can talk about other challenges that they can give to you to help you develop your career. You can talk, talk about career development things as to where you want to go next. 
I mean, you can't do that. You can't have those conversations until you've mastered your job, right? And shown that that's, that's something that you've got under control. Totally. I mean, and, and it's like, it's kind of harsh to say, but hey, you're in the job. Nobody owes you anything. You got to earn it every day. And it's, I almost sound like Rocky or something, but it's like, it's like, you, you know, bringing that to the manager is like, you've got the table stakes. The table stakes are, are paid. You've, you're, you've got that on lockdown. So now you're ready for the next step. It's not like you can't just walk in and be like, Hey, I've been here for three months. I'm ready to be promoted. You know, it's, you got to earn right. it there. So. There's got to be something of substance to it, which is, which right. is interesting. I, you know, a question that I get quite often is from SDRs in particular is how do I make myself stand out to leadership? Yes. Right. Cause you know, it's, it's one thing when you know, there's a 20 person company and everybody knows each other and everybody sees what, what you're doing. But as a company grows and the sales organization starts growing, then you're like, okay, well, the head of sales, you know, is running an organization of 50 people and he's thinking about strategy and he's not looking at specifically what everybody's doing every day. He's got managers that do that. So the visibility of if I'm, you know, a possible person that could get promoted, you know, to him goes away. And so I get that question a lot. It's how do I make myself stand out once the organization starts getting bigger and more career opportunities start opening up. And so I'm, I'm happy to talk about that a little bit if you think it's a worthwhile topic. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I love it. What, what do we have to do to stand out, especially if we're at one of those bigger companies? Yeah. So I've thought a lot about this. I've lived through it also. So I've got some personal experience because when I first took my job as an SDR and I, again, I didn't know all what it encompassed and I started doing it. I'm like, man, I want to do this as short as possible and get into an AE role. So I went, I went to my VP of sales and I said, hey, you know, this is all well and good, but how do I get to the next job? And, you know, he basically said, do X, Y, and Z, you know, beat your number by a wide margin, you know, find deals that close and, you know, show me that you understand the material, right. And that you can, you can talk, you can talk, you know, to customers in a way that, that I wanted to talk to them. So I'm like, okay. So I started doing those things. So I think first and foremost, if you want to stand out, it's important to meet the leaders on your team. I think as a company gets bigger, you know, if you're an introvert or you're not totally extroverted, you might be reluctant to approach leaders and even let them know who you are and make sure that they that they have a chance to, to get to know you a little bit. And yeah, hierarchies exist. And just because one of the execs hasn't gone out of the way to meet you doesn't mean they don't want to know you. It just means that they're busy and they've got other stuff going on and, you know, they, they're, they're, they're pulled in a bunch of different directions. So, you know, you should be proactive and go out of your way to make sure that you get a chance to meet them spend a little bit of time with them, and then find a way to stay on their radar. So that's one of the first things that I would recommend, especially in larger organizations where it's harder to do that. The next thing that comes to mind is, next thing that comes to mind is, you know, be vocal, but in a productive way and bring new ideas to the table. One of the things that I really liked about a lot of the people that I've hired is, you know, there's a lot of smart people. Um, there's a lot of these podcasts and, you know, there's a lot of resources that, you know, young sellers are hearing about and learning from, and they're bringing new ideas to the table of what things we could experiment with and try in our, in our sales organization. And I don't, I'm the first one to tell you, I don't know everything. So I want to get these ideas from smart people as a way to make the business better. So being outspoken and bringing those ideas to the table in a positive way, well thought through and, and thinking about how it can improve the, the culture and the, the results that we're getting is one really good way to, to help you stand out. I would warn against 
being outspoken with a, a constant sense of negativity to the things you say, even if you want to try to get things changed because something's not working. Growing companies will always have things that aren't working. And so, you know, any member of the team has to live through that and survive through that while you forge your way forward. So when there's issues or challenges or problems that the company's trying to deal with, you know, find not just the issues, but also find solutions and present them in a way that, you know, shows a good path forward with well thought through ideas that are, are not going to be too disruptive to the organization. And and look, just don't get discouraged if if they don't get, you know, jumped all over at the, you know, as soon as you present them because, you know, there's other priorities. But I think being smart about what you bring to the table is a good way to get noticed. Amen. Oh, man, this is great stuff. I mean, because it's all, you know, it's not just the great idea that you have or bringing a problem. You, You have to bring the solution also and maintain a positive attitude because, like you said, a lot of times people are going 100 miles an hour and it's just, it's a gripe that you hear a lot just in any organization, not just sales that, oh, I have all these great ideas, but nobody's listening to me. And it's like, well, wait yeah. a minute, let's take or a step this back. Or this doesn't work, and this doesn't this work, doesn't work and, this and this is broken, and this is broken. It's like, yeah, I mean, we're it, kind it of, you know, we're building the car, we're building the car while we're driving down the street. Like, yeah, some stuff's not going to get broken, but we're still ratcheting the business forward, and you need positive, productive members of the team to help you keep building that car so you can drive it faster. But, you know, there isn't a company in the world that doesn't have problems. You need to focus on the positive things. So that Problem keep, solvers. It's not like yeah. Pollyanna, you know, positive <laughs> attitude, you know, Tony Robbins. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's like, you know, it's a lot better than being a negative Nelly, bringing everybody down. But I, you've got, yeah. you know, what are you, did you have another way to stand out? I cut, I cut you off. Yeah. I love this. I've got a, a couple more tips I would say is, yeah. you know, make sure you're always looking out for your customers. You're looking out for the company you work for. You're looking out for your team members, right? It's even above yourself at times. You know, a team member who is helpful to their peers, who's selfless in that, in that fact, and is, you know, looking to help the team be successful, selfless with their time, willing to be a mentor or, you know, supportive peer. Those, those type of things will just always open doors to having a bright future. I mean, there's some people that, you know, they come to work, they want to focus on their job and execute really well and crush their numbers. And that is totally fine and respected as well. But I think those that help, you know, help rise the tide that lifts all boats, those are people actually get, you know, noticed, you know, often as well. One other thing that I think is important is not to be afraid to highlight your successes, right? And make them known to the leaders that are going to be looking for next, the next AEs on their team, if that's the path you want to go down, right? Don't be afraid to bring your successes to the forefront, tell your stories and make them sound compelling, highlight how you are bringing value to the business, quantify it if you can, and present it in a professional way. One of the things that I did when I was an SDR, you know, we had 10 AEs at the time and it was two SDRs. And it was a really, you know, immature program. Like we were just pounding out 60 calls a day and, you know, creating, I think, three leads a month was the goal back then. And, you know, as we started getting some traction, I wanted to bring some some visibility to the work that we were doing. And so I started, you know, for every lead that converted to a closed deal, you know, I printed out a certificate and I hung it on the wall outside the VP of sales office and I said, these are the deals with the company with the company logo and the value of the deal that came from the SDR team. And, you know, after a couple of months, that wall was covered in, in these certificates. And it's like you had to take notice, right? 
it wasn't about me, but it was about this is what this group is doing for the company. And I think, you know, you fast forward a year later, that team was, you know, 10 people strong and they continued to invest in it because it was it was bringing results, right? And, and it's tangible. You see it right there. Look at all the certificates. No, yeah, exactly. And, and I love that idea. And they weren't inbound leads. So these are things we were, we were generating it from cold calling. Yes. So there was a clear attribution of, if this, if these people were not on the phone, we would not be getting this business. Well, it's, it's interesting because, you know, you're always taught as a kid, don't toot your own horn, like keep a low profile, like don't, don't stick out, you know, and then, and then you realize when you get into the business world, you know, there's a continuum, like where there's really obnoxious people who are always beating their chest and like talking about how great you they are. And that's just annoying. But a majority of people are way over on the other side of the continuum where they're just like silently grinding it out, working away. And, and they're not, you know, if you do it in a fun, positive way, like what you're talking about, then it's a win for everybody. But I think most people are just like, I'm just going to let my results speak for themselves and I'm not going to toot my own horn, you know, and it's, it's kind of, yeah, 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 for sure. And one of the things that I've seen happen over and over again, and, you know, I would advise, you know, SDRs that want to grow into AE roles to, you know, to try and and take matters into their own hands. Again, you have to do it. It's not what you do, it's how you do it, right? So toot your own horn, but in, in the right way. And most managers, I mean, if I was a manager and an SDR came up to me, he's like, hey, I want to showcase what I'm working on for you. What's the right way to do it? And then let the manager tell you what the right way to do that is. And that way you're not doing things your way that winds up, you know, coming across the wrong way to them. Ask them, what's the right way to do this? The interesting thing is, you know, as companies start growing and scaling, you know, and they start saying, okay, like we need to add more mature, you know, seasoned salespeople to our team, you know, it becomes harder and harder for, an SDR who's never been in AE to take some of those roles, right? Because you got to start hiring from the outside. You need somebody with five years of sales experience instead of somebody that's just coming right out of the out of the SDR program. So while usually good companies will open some spots up for SDRs, not every spot will be open for an SDR. And so you again, as, le- as sales leaders start looking externally to hire people it's even more important that they know the quality of the talent they have on the SDR team so that they can say, oh, why would I hire somebody from the outside, even though they got a few more years of sales experience? When I got somebody that's really articulate, knows the messaging, knows the product, knows our market really well, and I can kind of teach them some of the skills that they don't have. But yeah, you, again, no they need to be, but they have to know. It's a no-brainer, but they need to know you. They need to know you. They need to have seen you and they need to trust you in order to make that decision. So you need to be in their face to some degree and make sure they remember you when they're looking for those candidates. Yes. Yes. I love it. This is so useful. This is so helpful. And, you know, we were talking about, you know, from an SDR perspective, they're walking past the the conference room, you know, and they see people like yourself, the CRO, the the VP of sales, the head of marketing, they see them in these conference rooms and they keep walking by every day and I always wanted to peek in there and be in the room, you know, and hear what they're doing in there, what they're talking about. So, and I know it's a big question, but at a high level, you know, what are you guys talking about in there? That's boring stuff. You're not, you wouldn't be interested in that if you were in there. It's just monotonous, you know, nah, you wouldn't be interested. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, there's a lot of topics that come up in those meetings, but you know, when around the sales area, it's really, you know, what does it take to be successful and how can we kind of keep 
capitalizing on the successes we've seen, what opportunities are there to do more of the good things we're doing, what what areas should we, you know, are we not being successful in that we think we can tweak to be more successful or should we like start moving away from certain areas so that we're not wasting time on things that are not producing results. So a lot of it is looking at data, right? Understanding what is going well, trying to find those pockets of opportunities where you can, where you think you, you can go after something in a repeatable way, pour fuel on the fire, invest more capital and, and get more out of that opportunity before it goes away. That's generally one of the things that we do talk about quite a bit. You know, we're inspecting the sales funnel. We're trying to look for bottlenecks of poor conversions where we can start applying training tools or resources to make improvements and see improved conversion rates. You know, good teams, like good organizations have sales and marketing look at this, looking at these things together because there's things you can do in alignment with each other to produce better results as you move not just from the top of the marketing funnel, but all the way down through the sales funnel as well. We're looking at, you know, past results, analyzing potential growth areas based on customer stories, recent wins, new use cases that we're discovering from conversations we're hearing with customers, trying to assess how to capture more of the market so that we can put a plan together for that. We discuss competition. And then, you know, lastly, and importantly, we, you know, we spend a lot of time looking at compensation and making sure that our set team are being taken care of, that they're earning the things that we promised them they could earn when they joined the company and we made those promises to them. You know, we want to be empathetic to the work that they're doing and making sure that they feel like they can earn a good living working and selling the product that they're doing at this company. So there's a lot of time thinking through that and and optimizing the compensation plan to be competitive in the market and and make sure that we're we're helping them earn a, a solid wage. Yeah, my head is spinning. <laughs> you got, you're managing a lot of stuff. Uh, that's a lot and of I, stuff. I was also thinking, you know, whoever owns User IQ or or the you know the shareholders are lucky to have somebody like you working there that can handle all this stuff for them. And I mean, on the the people reporting to you, you know, that you're thoughtful about this and and not you know just in there doing uh, pipeline reviews all day. That's that's the stereotype. We do talk about we do talk about yeah. pipeline. We talk about big deals as well, and you know how we can you know throw the right resources and some larger opportunities to to give ourselves the best chance of winning. But there's a lot more to it than that. You you invest a lot in a sales organization, right? Just from hiring to training to you know all the all the marketing spend that you do to fill the funnel. Like there's an incredible amount of investment that goes into it. And so thinking through, you know, all the things that are working is really important to keep the team intact, to keep them motivated and engaged and to, you know, to ultimately result hitting numbers. And what is like a cadence for you as far as the way that you work on a a weekly basis? Is it, are you pretty much, you know, in reaction mode to all these stakeholders that need you to do things for them? Or do you have any control over your calendar. I'm, I'm making a big, big <laughs> assumption there. Yeah, go ahead. That's a, that's a, that's a fantastic question. <laughs> I'll tell you, it depends on, sometimes it depends on the, on the, on the sales leader and, and how they operate. It also depends on the stage of the company and the maturity of your sales organization, the maturity of your product market fit and things like that. So if you're, if you're in a, a smaller organization that's not scaling yet, where you're, you know, you've got to grow really quickly and add a bunch of people and you're constantly hiring and interviewing and things like that, then what you're normally, what what I'm trying to do 
is optimize how we sell what we what we have, right? So it's a lot of listening to customer calls, sitting in on demos, getting seller feedback, helping with the tactics of winning, you know, deal by deal. So a lot of deal by deal strategy and things like that to understand our customer, how they align with our product, how we can optimize our sales process and the resources we use during our sales process to, you know, win as much as we can and then start laying that as a foundation for how we're going to sell what we sell. And so in, in that scenario, a lot of my time is dedicated to just working one-on-one with reps and with SDRs to, to do the tactics of the deals. At the same time, you know, I'm building out, you know, a training program as the things that I realize, okay, everybody needs to know this. Everybody needs to know this. I'm putting the building blocks together of a training program so that if and when we do have to scale, I've got a lot of that foundation stuff already created for the new people that I'm going to have to hire. Perfect. Scale. Yeah. When you're scaling and starting to grow fast and you're, you know, you're doing a lot of interviewing all the time, you're building an interview and a hiring framework. The training program is really important at that point in time. You have to have a mentoring program so, so that when you do hire people, they feel you know, very, very well supported. And you're also spending a lot of time with other managers in the organization because you really got to align well with, with the marketing leadership, with the CS leadership, with the product leadership to make sure that you're, as you're growing fast, you're getting the, the right stuff to take the market, the right messaging and the CS support that you're going to provide to your customers is, is up to standards, right? And I think as you get to a really large mature organization and you've got managers layered upon managers and, you know, as a leader, you're not doing everything yourself then you're doing more strategic thinking, planning, long-term planning, that kind of stuff, while the managers are doing more of the day-to-day tactics and deals and trainings and, you know, making sure that the, the wheels are continuing to turn. Got it. Okay. So so you're not over overly stressed at this point. It, I guess it just depends what day it is, right? Yeah. I am pulled <laughs> in a lot of different directions. I would say I don't have a lot of free time for myself because I'm in a lot of meetings, but you know, you got to, you do what you got to do to, yeah. to grow the business. <laughs> well, let me ask you, let me ask you, you know, as you're looking at, you mentioned conversion rates is one of the things that you look at, you know, as you're, as you're planning. And, you know, at, at some point, some sales leaders look at those and they look at the economics of running a sales development program and they decide to outsource the function or they just hire another firm Maybe they don't even have a sales development function at their company, so they just hire another firm. And, you know, has that ever come up in your experience? What are your thoughts on having an outsourced provider of SDR services? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that's it's been around for a while, that that concept. I think it maybe it's more popular these days. I haven't I've personally never done it. Like we've used some firms in the past to kind of supplement the leads that we've gotten and kind of try to add more to the top of the funnel. But I've never personally taken my team and said, hey, listen, like we're firing everybody and we're outsourcing this role. But I mean, I can be objective, right? And, you know, let's look at it objectively from both sides as to why a company would do this. I guess from, a, from let's start with looking at the standpoint of let's not outsource this, right? We're going to build it. We're going to keep it in-house, right? Some of the benefits of that is the team will be intimately familiar with your company, your culture, your brand, your processes, your messaging, the product, and that will make them better, faster at hyping up your company, talking about the brand, taking the product to market. Like they will just be better SDRs because they're immersed in your business, right? You'll have much better control over their processes and how they operate. Data 
you can get what's working, what's not working, make swift course, course corrections on things that you see in the numbers is, I think, is, is much better if you have all that function in-house. You'll have more control with how they engage with customers, which for many organizations is really, really important, that customer experience side of things. If you're one of those organizations that's really well aligned between sales and marketing, then the SDR team is a, a great source of field-level intelligence to serve as inputs to both sales and marketing leadership. And you know, and lastly, you're, you're investing in a great training program for future AEs and future managers that, that will stay in your company if, if they get promoted. And that doesn't, you don't have that opportunity if you've outsourced this to somebody else. So there are so many success stories of SDRs that have gone on to accomplish much greater things in their careers. I'm, I'm an example of one of those. So, you know, those are some pretty compelling reasons to keep it in-house, right? Yes, definitely. And are, yeah, what about the other, the other side though? I mean, why, why are, why yeah. is there this huge proliferation of SDR outsource companies popping up? Yeah, well, it's a it's pretty hard to to do it really well in house, uh, and it's a it's a an incredible investment to do it well. So it's an it's not just an investment in money, but also in time and energy. And so some of those things aren't necessarily obvious to everybody, right? So it takes a lot of time and energy and commitment to ramp up a new employee in any department, right? Managers and peers make sacrifices to help those two new team members, you know, ramp up and show them the rope, teach them what they need to know, set them on a path to be successful. For SDRs, even in particular, sometimes it's their first role in sales, first role in any company in general, right? And so they don't even know if they want to be in sales, but, you know, somebody told them this might be a good thing to do. So they take a crack at it. They don't know if they're going to be successful. And you're, you're investing a lot of time and energy and money in those people. They may decide they don't even want to be in sales, right? And so there's a, there's a, it's a pretty high risk investment if you look at it from that perspective. Then, you know, once they're trained and performing and they're hitting their goals and they're doing a good job, there's a lot of pressure for them to be promoted, right? And unfortunately, most SDRs don't want to stay SDRs for long, right? They have career aspirations and there's an expectation that, you know, 12 to 18 months from when they start, if they do their job, they'll be AEs or or in a different in a, in a different uh, career progression, and so after that time, if they haven't been promoted, they they lose patience and they they may depart to a different company. So, the ROI that you see on all of the investment in a new employee isn't very isn't very good if somebody only stays for twelve to eighteen months, right? And so it's really hard to continue to to recruit and hire good people and onboard and train them, and you just you will just never have enough new AE roles to put every SDR that joins your company into. It's just, it doesn't happen. And so it can be really disruptive and high cost and emotionally draining to continue to go through that cycle. That's a pretty big challenge. And so for, for, for some of those reasons, a company that specializes in this function, they have an always on hiring program. If people quit, they can shift people around to make sure you're still getting that same coverage you were getting before. They can smooth out the bumpiness of, of employees getting promoted or employees leaving, and they can continue to deliver that, that lead flow of you know, X number of leads a month, regardless of the things that happen to change. And that's what they specialize and are good at. You know, that can be a pretty compelling offering, especially if they can do it at a, at a lower cost than you're doing it yourself and a, a less disruptive you know, 
set of activities than you do in yourself. That can be compelling, but there are trade-offs such as the quality of the leads, the depth of information that, that uh, an SDR that doesn't know your, your company, what they can gather, and certainly the, the ability to promote good people into, into other roles. You, know, you don't get that opportunity as well. Yeah, it's really interesting. And, you know, it might take some trial and error to find a firm that, that is comfortable calling to your industry and knows the back and forth. And there might even be a specialized outsource SDR firm that only calls on, you know, muffler repair shops, you know, <laughs> and then they, they're, right, really, that's right. they're really into your industry. And, and then, and then, you know, are they reliable? Are they good partners? Can they produce results? Because then you have a trusted partner. It's almost like a marketing agency. Like once you find a good yeah. marketing agency for your business, then you stick with them for years, you know, because they, they can yeah. deliver. They get it at that point. They get it. Yeah. yeah. And then you could even, you know, if you're doing pretty well at the company, like revenue wise, you could have an in-house team that has all the benefits of that you mentioned as far as the tribal knowledge and the great, you know, people that you bring in to the company that go through the SDR program. And then you have the outsource team as well. And they kind of play off of each other, and support each other. That's right. And if I, you know, if I think about, you know, in what scenarios would I consider doing this kind of thing? You know, if you think about buyers these days, right, they're, they're doing a lot of research on your company, your industry, solutions like you have before they come inbound to you. And so by the time somebody says, okay, I want to talk to this company and they're inbounding and they reach a, you know, BDR or something like that, they're pretty educated, right? And so you wouldn't want to outsource that part of it because Somebody that doesn't know your product really well probably won't be able to answer the depth of questions that somebody who's done research may have, right? But if you're thinking about the outbounding function where you're just calling people for the first time, you're trying to build awareness of your solution, you're trying to broaden your reach in the market and get people interested in the topic, and then you know set appointments with somebody that might have a deeper knowledge of how you can work with a company like those, those new companies being contacted – you know, that might be an area where it's a good fit. And, you know, they're, they're trying to get a little bit of interest, maybe get some, you know, hit some qualifying characteristics and then, you know, set an appointment for somebody that can take them a level deeper. Yeah, yeah. And that's interesting that you mentioned about if the potential, the prospect has been doing research, they've been reading all these reports and analyst reports and everything, and then they finally come inbound, you know, the, the immediate response is, we'll just send them to a sales rep. But the thing is, the sales rep might be on another demo or they might be on an airplane or they're at an event or, you know, they're closing a deal and, and there's not like one designated person who can take that inbound lead and, and qualify it if you don't have any SDRs at your company, you know? So it's interesting. That's right. And I think when you, when you think about, again, how can an SDR stand out, right? While there's pressure to kind of move quickly and, you know, tee up meetings and hit your numbers, you know, the advice I would give them is always try to go beyond just, just the basic qualifying criteria, right? Always, you know, go beyond that, you know, right? Start thinking about, you know, what the AE would do if you were in that role and start to treat that, that inquiry or, or that conversation as if you were an AE, right? Don't just hit the BANT criteria, do they have budget, you know, et cetera, et cetera, because that's the, again, it's the meets minimum. Right. You're not progressing your skill set by just having that same high level conversation and ticking the boxes all the time. You're not progressing as a 
as a seller by doing that. So as you're interacting with more people, try to progress your own skill set by taking those conversations deeper, trying to learn more, challenge, you know, the, the ways that you interact with those people to try to get better. Yeah. Like we do a, an SDR training program and we start, they're always surprised by this, but we start with talking about the actual people that the SDRs are going to be calling. We don't even talk about like the product or objection handling and all that stuff. It comes later. First and foremost, who are you calling? What are their main, you know, pain points? What's a day in the life? You know, what's their vocabulary? Because if you think about it, like there's a whole world of information that you can learn about those people. And the more that you know their world, then the better salesperson you could be because you can speak their language, you know? Exactly. It's kind of like, you know, when a, if an SDR wants to know, how they can stand out the leadership, you know, you got to know what the leadership cares about, right? Same thing when you're talking to a prospect, you know, you got to understand what the company is trying to do, what the company cares about, what they're trying to accomplish, you know, in the coming year, and then go to the persona, right? What does the persona care about? You know, what's their responsibilities? What are they trying to accomplish? And is there a fit between what you're selling and what that person's trying to do? And then, you know, you can go into talking about the product and qualification and stuff like that. But if you can get really good at answering of having I guess driving the conversation about the business and you're curious about it and you, you dig deep and you ask good questions and you're curious about them and their role, you know, that'll just open up so many more opportunities to, to talk about your solution because the conversation will be so much broader. 100%. It's, it's the same with if you just go into a conversation talking all about yourself and how great you are and all this stuff, I mean, you turn people off. But if you're curious and you know a little bit about their world and stuff like that, you just can open up such a better conversation. So I, and I like how you said internally as well, you know, with your leadership, with your manager, you know, be more interested than interesting. You know, you ever heard that one? Yep. Absolutely. I totally agree. I totally agree with that. When I talk about myself as an introvert, I'm like, you know, I, I got really good at asking questions. Like when I'm with people, even if it's in a social engagement, like I don't have, I don't feel like I have anything interesting to say. So I just ask them questions about themselves. And, you know, I just, I happen, it happens to be a good, a good skill that matches well with, with being a seller. But yeah, I just, 100%. that's kind of how I operate. <laughs> I like that. I like that. So, cause I, I went to a social function and I'm kind of, I stopped drinking like three years ago. So like, I, I'm so tight, you know, when I go in. So I got to come up with a list of questions. I just open any questions to just walk up and start asking people so that they talk instead of me. Yeah, exactly. So it takes a lot of pressure on finding something interesting to say. If instead of talking, you just ask somebody else to talk. There you go. Well, Dan, <laughs> this has been so interesting. And I just, you know, sharing your wisdom with our listeners has been so helpful. I got a whole page of notes here. And I'm sure that folks may want to get in touch with you. What, what's the best way that they can follow up if they want to learn more about User IQ and, and Dan? Yeah, I mean, happy to hit me up on LinkedIn. Again, it's Dan Bonet, User IQ. You should be able to find me. When we don't have tens of thousands of employees, so I'll probably be the first one that, that comes up. <laughs> okay. You can reach me at dan.bonet at userIQ.com as well. Awesome, awesome. Well, Dan, thank you so much for being on the Sales Development Podcast, and let's talk again soon. All right. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. 
Again, that's 10bound.com.